0: Hello everyone, this is Justin Begley, and you're listening to Magnify, a podcast dedicated to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ by magnifying Him in our lives. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, how often do we consider the seriousness of our sin? We know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, And we know that by the grace of God, we can be saved of our sins through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But even though Christ followers are saved of their past, present, and future sins, does that mean that we can continue to go on sinning? When was the last time that you looked at your life and considered the consequences, both eternal and temporary, that your sins carry? When I started my freshman year of college, I was so excited to finally have the freedom that every college student talks about, that that freedom when you finally don't have to abide by the curfew your parents set and, and do the chores around the house that that, that that your parents make you do. I was so excited because I was finally going to get to try life uh, on my own. Uh, that I would I finally get to try a life that was at least in some way independent from my parents. And so I got to college and I did pretty much what every freshman student when 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 their when their parents leave campus, do I, I I went and looked for a party. Uh, now, through high school, I never really enjoyed going to parties. Not because my parents didn't allow me to or anything. It it was really just not really my scene. Uh, but I I think just the allure of college and the kind of expectations that TV shows and, and and movies create in their depictions of college parties enticed me to kind of gather up some of my friends and 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 go look for one. Well, I I quickly realized that that college parties were not at all what hollywood made them out to be in fact it was pretty awful <laughs> i it, it was loud it was crowded it was too warm it smelled like smoke and, and sweat and and alcohol but in effort to try to you know make new friends and and fully quote unquote experience college i, I chose to stay and i i and, and that kind of is how it went throughout my uh, the entirety of my first semester and i i was out every weekend with my friends partying it up there was it, it, it was fun and it, it was it, it was um kind of that that introduction to to college life and in and life independent of your parents but as i kind of went through this the the semester there there was really only one problem um, besides that i deep down couldn't stand actually going to these parties i really didn't enjoy it but i did it because uh, i wanted to kind of you know expand out my my interests and and, and meet new people but there was really one true problem with, with what I was doing. I was behaving in a way that mimicked the partiers rather than mimicking Jesus. Now, why am I telling you this? I, am I saying that the Bible says that that we can't go out and party? No, not at all. In fact, biblical history, if, if, if you read some of the stuff in the Old Testament, is full of these huge festival festivals and celebrations where people gather to worship and praise the Lord. Not the, Now, I'm not comparing those things to college parties, but but the Lord loves his festivals, and, and the Jewish people in the Old Testament loved gathering to throw a party for the Lord. But what I'm really talking about is how I let myself engage in sinful behavior because of the situations I was putting myself in. I was using language I didn't like using, saying things I shouldn't say, treating people in, in a way that I would not myself want to be treated I was acting in a way that didn't reflect my faith and 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 i didn't I didn't like it. I, I realized this uh, throughout my my freshman year and and during my freshman year, while I considered myself a follower of Jesus, I was not taking my sin seriously and i I, I should have. and we should all do that every single day. In this episode, I want to focus in on a couple sets of verses from the book of Hebrews, which I think Show believers how seriously God takes our sin, and how seriously, as a result of how serious God takes it, how seriously we should take it. So, looking at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire. Will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is how seriously God takes our sin, especially as followers of Christ. When we sin, this is how seriously God takes it. He says it's like trampling over the Son of God by treating His sacrifice as if it were unholy, thus insulting the grace that God showed us on the cross. In Hebrews 6:6, 6, 6, a little bit early, earlier in the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it describes sin of believers who continue to go on doing so willfully ha- as having the effect of re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. Listen to also what, what Peter has to say in First Peter 4. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with, with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the, un- of the ungodly and the sinner? Again, in Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, it says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So God takes our sin very seriously. And these are the consequences that we face when we sin. The consequences of sinning against God is spiritual death, one that results in separation from God and therefore prohibiting sinners from inheriting and entering the kingdom of God. God takes our sin very seriously very seriously. Now, looking back at Hebrews 10, more closely into verse 26, where it says that if we keep on sinning after receiving the truth of Jesus, that there is no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. That that too seems to be a, a really serious thing. That, that What does that mean, that there's no longer a sacrifice remaining for our sins? Does that mean that that if we claim to be Christ followers and sin, that we no longer can actually receive salvation. I, I, I don't think that's what it's saying here. I, I want to make sure that we understand what, what this verse is saying. I, I don't think it's saying that. Earlier in chapter 9, if you look at, at chapter 9 of Hebrews, the author kind of lays out an Old and New Testament parallel to show the differences in the Old and New Covenants and how the the, the Jewish people operated for atonement. The Old Covenant required a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the uh, of the priest performing the ceremony and the people he was performing the ceremony for. But under the new covenant, the covenant of, of God's grace through the one-time ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, we have an eternal atonement for our sins where, in Jesus, we can be forgiven. And, and there is now no more need for, because of Jesus, Any more blood sacrifices because Jesus Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all on the cross to save everybody who might come to faith in him. So what verse 26 is saying is that there is now no other sacrifice and and there will never be another sacrifice again. Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He is the last and final sacrifice. So if you choose to reject him and go on sinning, there is nothing more that, that, that can be done to save you. And and that's the key point right there. When we find ourselves in a seemingly endless cycle of sin, we have really two options. Turn and run away in shame and and, and thus continue to sin or repent, which literally means to turn around and and, and then run to the Lord. Only in Jesus can we find the forgiveness and restoration that we need uh, and desire. Think about the two followers of Jesus who betrayed him right before his death, Judas and Peter. Of course, Judas committed an internally an, an serious and treacherous betrayal by turning Jesus over to the Jewish authorities, leading to his crucifixion. And, and then there was Peter, who, while Jesus was being questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest, denied knowing Jesus three times, just as Jesus had prophesied. He betrayed Jesus by claiming to others out of fear that he, that he didn't know him. But look at the difference between how Judas and Peter responded to their betrayals of Jesus. Let's first look at Judas in Matthew 27, right after Jesus is handed over to Pontius Pilate. It says, Then Judas, Jesus' betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver that the chief priests and elders gave him. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. Judas was so full of guilt and shame, knowing that he had just committed a terrible sin, probably the worst sin that anyone has ever committed in all of history, that, that he couldn't even bear it anymore. So he turned away from God and, and chose to deal with his sin on his own, and that led to his death and, and eternal separation from God. But kind of in a contrasting view, let's take a look at how Peter responded to his betrayal. In Matthew 26, 75, kind of just before the the death of Judas took place, just as Peter had denied Jesus for the third time and and the rooster crowed, it it says, Peter remembered the word Jesus had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. It says he went out and Peter wept bitterly. You see, Peter wasn't just crying out of remorse, but rather out of a true and deep sorrow and, and repentance of his sin. It wasn't until Peter saw Jesus' face and remembered his words that he truly understood the seriousness of his sin, which which then led him to re- repentance. Peter's sin itself did not cause him to repent, but rather fa- he found forgiveness and restoration when he turned to God. And then later in John 21, after Jesus had resurrected, we see Jesus affirming Peter's love for him three times. And, and, and this this is what gave Peter rest and the confidence to go on and start building Jesus' church. So you're probably thinking right about now something like, I get that I shouldn't sin and if I do, I need to repent, but, but how do I abstain from sinning? How do I actually stop myself from engaging in the very sin that God despises so much? Well, listen, we all have temptation to sin. And I'll be the first to admit that fending off temptation is extremely difficult. But but here's the deal, and listen to this. God is faithful, and He will never let you fail. He is a faithful, loving, gracious, merciful, and sovereign God, and He will never let you fall. First Corinthians ten thirteen says it this way: No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So there's there's no temptation that there's no temptation that's just unique to you. It's it's been experienced by by other people, and God has brought those people through it, so why sh- shouldn't He be able to do that for you? And continuing in First Corinthians 10, it says, "But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it." So God gives us the strength to fend off and resist temptation. He doesn't give us anything more than we can handle, but but when he when temptation does come our way, and and that temptation, by the way, is not from God. God does not tempt, but knowing that the possibility of it could happen in, in this kind of evil and and crooked world, God doesn't allow temptation to come our way that is to the magnitude at which we cannot bear. Because as again as it says in First Corinthians ten, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out. He will give you a way out. If you attempt it, he will give you a way out. God gives us the strength to fend off and resist this temptation. And as Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God provides us the strength that we need to fend off the temptation. I also want to give you some strategies that that may help you fend off these temptations and resist the urge to sin that you may be facing. And, and I do also first want to say that as believers, I don't I don't want us to think that God's law is something that that we have to abide by, but rather something that we want to abide by. Because if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we will never be happy in our sin, but we'll follow his law because we love him too much not to. In, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, he said in, in a sermon that, If Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. So if you love Jesus, you'll never truly be happy in sin. But getting to these strategies now, the first one I want to mention is to simply just spend more time in God's Word. I've actually devoted two full episodes of this podcast just to that topic alone because of how important it is for us to read and meditate and memorize and implement God's Word into our lives. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those and hear what God has to say about spending time in His Word and how important He thinks it is. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 17, 19. It says, God's law is to remain with Him, and He is to read from it all the days of His life, so that He may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. And also listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, 2-3. He says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's law, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted besides flowing streams that bears its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So we must read God's word every single day because it will allow us to prosper in the way that God intended us to because it will allow God to actually write his laws on our hearts so that we can live according to his will rather than according to our will. Following after God's word in pursuit of Jesus gives us an eternal perspective which leads to an eternal prospering where we can actually get to dwell eternally in the presence of God. But we shouldn't only read God's Word, we should also meditate or or pray on it and and memorize it. This is a great strategy because that way we we really come to absorb and understand what God is saying to us. I don't know if you've if any of you have have, have had this experience before, but when I read the Bible and and really focus in on it and pray on it, i, I can I can so clearly hear God's voice telling me to take what he is saying and 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 make a change in my life based on what his word says. That That is one of the primary ways that God actually speaks to us. In Joshua 1.8, God instructs Joshua to not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. By, so by... By eating up the Word of God and hiding it in your heart, you will be able to do what James tells us in James 1, 22, which is actually to do what it says. And the second and last thing I would encourage you to do comes right out of Proverbs four twenty-three, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. The Hebrew word for heart that is used here is lebe, which refers to... Our understanding or knowledge or the place of our intellect. So it effectively it means our mind. So we must guard our hearts or our minds from things that do not glorify God. That means we need to look at what we're allowing into our minds. We you ever heard the saying that, that the eyes are the gateway to the soul? Well, in many ways, the eyes, and also the ears for that matter, are gateways to the mind. What you allow to come in through your eyes and your ears will directly influence your thoughts and consequently your behaviors. So maybe you're watching a a TV show that is promoting something that's contrary to what God says belongs in his kingdom. Or maybe you're listening to music that's vulgar or promoting themes that are abusive or derogatory. Or maybe you're looking at pictures or videos with sexualized content. Or maybe you're spending your time at parties that that can present an array of sinful behavior and debauchery, kind of like I was doing my freshman year. All of those things, even though we, don't, we may not realize it, impact how you think and what you think about. And what you think directly impacts how you behave. If you think sinfully, you will behave sinfully. Listen to what Peter has to say about this in 2 Peter 2, 14-15. Peter says, With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22-23 during his Sermon on the Mount. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, How great is that darkness? If you think sinful thoughts, you will engage in sinful behaviors. So guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. So then how should we live? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer, and and he says it so well in in these three verses that I'm going to read to you. The first is in Colossians 3.17, which says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, give thanks to God the Father through him. The second is in Ephesians 5:15-17 which says, "Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is." And lastly in 1 Corinthians 10:31, Paul says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." So how now shall we live understanding the seriousness of our sin? We should live in a way that we orient everything that we are to showing people the glory of God. We must set our sights on the eternal, graceful, and merciful, and loving God who through Jesus' death on the cross, which, which he did not deserve, offered us that which we did not deserve. That's the beauty of the gospel. God takes our sin incredibly seriously because he knows what it cost him. It cost him his son. But here's the truth. We, we believe in a God who loves us, who is gracious, who is merciful, who is sovereign, who is just, and who wants a relationship with us. God wants us to be saved. He wants us to take refuge in him because he knows that in Jesus we can have an eternal joy uh, beyond what we could ever possibly imagine, being in loving harmony with the Father. All of us get the chance to partake in that in that truth. God created us out of his love because he wanted us to share in that love with him. He will not let you falter away. He will not allow you to experience more temptation than what you can bear. And if you do trip up and and succumb to your temptation and and sin, he's waiting there for you to come running back because he's not only the creator of the universe and and the almighty God, he's our father and he he loves us. We're his children and he loves us. He wants us to come running back to him. He, He has his arms open and he wants us to share in that love with him forever. Earlier I mentioned Romans 6.23, which says, for the wages of sin is death. But do you know what? how that verse finishes? It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So trust in God. And if you do mess up, turn around, repent, and run to him, where you can find refuge and he will never let you go. God bless.